Welcome to Australian Hunger, I'm your host Ben. On this bonus episode, I'm going to be showing you an extract from another podcast I do, the Eclectcast. And no, this isn't a pathetic attempt, which unfortunately a bunch of other podcasts do, which actually really annoys me. I find it a little bit jarring for people to advertise their podcasts incredibly frequently on their other podcasts. But no, this isn't one of those attempts. This is actually, I think this is quite relevant to the show I do here, um, and I'm going to explain why. So, the other show I do is uh, focus on various different topics which me and a friend go back and forth about. Um, the topic I chose a few weeks back was about lawsuits against heavy metal bands based on perceived injury as an outcome of their music. Uh, the bands are well known, Judas Priest, Ozzy Osbourne, and Slayer. Um, and if you don't know those, I don't know why you listen to this podcast, but um, welcome. <laughs> And I thought it was a really interesting episode, and I, I feel like it's very appropriate to this show. Um, if only this podcast was a bridge vein of new listeners, which I could pull over to my other podcast that I run in parallel. But, um, you know, I hope any of the people, few listeners I have, appreciate this. Um, so, yeah, this is a, a episode I did, Breaking the Lawsuit. Um, I've cut out all the random crap that we do on either side, and I've just got the topic that we're, we're talking about. Um, and yeah, so this is the podcast, other podcast that I do with my friend Steph, and I, I hope you enjoy this bonus episode. So this week I'm going to be talking about heavy metal on trial Ooh. so there have been a number of trials of heavy metal not in a criminal sense but in the sense of a lawsuit okay um, like suing people suing people suing band members suing labels mm-hmm. um, because of the thought that in some way heavy metal is not protected by free speech or at least these particular expressions of heavy metal is not protected by free speech and the label the bands have acted either with malice or with carelessness in distributing their material because it has adverse effects on the people who listen to it. Okay. I'm going to go through a couple of well-known examples of these. So first off, we start off with... Um, it's interesting because m- most of these examples I'm going to give are suicides. Mm. So on October 26, 1984, 19-year-old John McCollum shot himself in the bed while listening to the albums Blizzard of Oz, Diary of a Madman, and Speak of the Devil by Ozzy Osbourne. At the time of his death, John was suffering from alcohol abuse and emotional problems. The album Blizzard of Oz contains a song, Suicide Solution. And you may think, oh, I know what you're talking about. It's a song called Suicide Solution. But no, like many of these kinds of controversies, it's not really about the pure meaning of the song. Despite its title, this song is actually a lamentation about the tragic consequences of alcoholism, with differing stories stating that it was inspired by either the death of John Scott of ACDC or by Ozzy's real-life troubles. Hmm. Um, you know, long, 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 long issues he had with drug and alcohol. Yeah. So, Have you seen that movie, sorry, on Netflix, mm. which is about um, not Ozzy Osbourne, but that uh, Motley Crue? Uh, no, I have not seen that. Yeah, well, there's a Ozzy Osbourne character in it. 
Um, Ozzy Osbourne character. Well, there's a guy playing Ozzy Osbourne in it because they went on Motley Crue went on tour with Ozzy Osbourne. I love that. Like they had a the real like like Motley Crue. Like, hey, this is Motley Crue in the movie, and like, oh, but we're not going to put Ozzy Osbourne in there. It wasn't the real Motley Crue in the movie. No, no, no. But like, you've got characters like, hey, we're we're Motley Crue in the movie, and then you've got some guy who's not Ozzy Osbourne. No, it was like, but hey, that's actually Ozzy Osbourne. A guy playing Ozzy Osbourne, and there were scenes where like when he, you know, snorted up a line of ants and then um, one of the members of Motley Crue peed on the ground and then Ozzy Osbourne licked it up. Yeah. And I was just like, fucking hell. Like, this guy's insane. Yeah. So I'm going to read if, uh, Is he sober now? Sorry. I think Ozzy Osbourne's sober now. I'm pretty sure. But I he's, like, fucked from years of drug oh, and alcohol Oh, I've seen him live in concert and he's <laughs> very addled. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, That's like crazy. he he has to concentrate very diff, uh, very stringently on the lyrics that are on screen for him to read. Oh, I feel yeah. so bad for him. But also he's like old, and that, that's kind yeah. of a problem which generally affects some of the older musicians. Like um, Rob, and so just so on Ozzy Osbourne, like he can't quite hit it properly. Like he not quite doesn't quite know it. Um, Rob Halford, who I saw uh, a little while ago with Judas Priest. Interestingly enough, another band I'm going to talk about, Judas Priest. Um, and Ozzy Osbourne was supposed to play at that same festival, but he pulled out because he was sick. Yeah. It's all coming together. But um, So I saw Rob Halford um, play with Judas Priest, and he's he's taught, he's mentioned that he like he's a bit getting old. He has a screen, so just so in case he can't remember the lyrics. But, like, he's still, he can't quite hit the high notes as well as he used to, but he's still an incredible vocalist. Like, it's actually amazing to hear him sing. It's interesting how some of them lose it. When I saw Fleetwood Mac, though, um, they were incredible. Like, not lost it at all. Lindsay Buckingham, who um, is one of the singers in Fleetwood Mac, was amazing, Mm. like, despite his age. Obviously, Stevie Nicks is just an angel on this earth. And she was incredible. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting. And then you see people like, I saw Ringo Starr. Um, not so good. <laughs> but was he ever that good? That's a real question. Um, but then people like um, the Rolling Stones, I haven't seen them live, mm. but I've watched videos of them live and I've watched their movies. And they're still incredible live. Yeah, they're the, they're the exception, basically. Like Mick Jagger still fucking struts his shit over that stage no matter what and still sounds the same as he used to. Like, I don't think they'll ever die. Yeah, the interesting thing about Rob Halford, you can say, like, oh, he's lost some of his vocal talents, which basically all musicians do. I well, mean, Bob Dylan lost his. He, he sounds have, like shit. Did he ever have any... <laughs> Bob Dylan sound better, sounded oh, better than he does now. That's, a, that's like, a controversial question. Bob Dylan sounds terrible now. Uh, like, so even like, worse. So, like, David, uh, David Bowie, before he passed away, like, he would have to sing some of his songs in a lower mm. register, you know, just because he didn't, he'd lost some of it. It wasn't that he'd lost his voice. It was still, you know, very powerful yeah. and um, he could, you know, hit the notes, but he just couldn't hit the high notes. And that, I, I feel that, that that's kind of the problem with, Rob Halford, he hit notes so high and so, like, piercingly. It wasn't like a lot of the heavy metal musicians where they kind of just scream those notes. He could hit them yeah. pristinely. Like, you listen to some of the old albums, like Sad Wings of Destiny, and it's incredible. Mm. Like, actually incredible. Like, you hear nothing else like it. Um, and, like, that, that's the issue with hitting notes so high. 
Um, it will eventually destroy your voice. I don't know if it's destroyed his voice, but like you, you won't be able to sing like that forever. Yeah, you lose those higher registers. So uh, that's that's one of the unfortunate things about getting old as Rob Halford. But no, still, it's still you know who also vocals. hasn't lost it though, Stephen Tyler, Aerosmith. He I, still I sounds know. great. Why rude? <laughs> I think I think I saw a video of Motley Crue. It might have been where Motley Crue is not good. Yeah, they they lost it. Oh, they're so <laughs> gross now as well. <laughs> Oh my god. Poor guys. They have it's gone. Aerosmith, still good. Rolling Stones, still good. Yeah. So I'm gonna read a, a verse to illustrate the point that it's about, you know, the danger of alcoholism rather than sort of promoting any kind yeah. of Are we gonna listen to idea. it as well? We will listen to part of it. Um, okay. the important part of it relating to the Great. the trial, the this lawsuit. Wine is fine, but uh, whiskey's quicker. Suicide is slow with liquor. Take a bottle and drown your sorrows. Then it floods away tomorrows. So, yeah, it's obviously a, a sort of about the impact of alcohol on, mm. on people's lives. It's a slow suicide. Yeah, drinking exactly. Drinking yourself to death. Exactly. So when the family focused their blame was not on the lyrics, um, not on the verse or chorus part of the lyrics, I should really say, but in this interlude section it's moments where Ozzy Osbourne is kind of like, all right, the song's kind of just cruising around for a little bit. He's kind of just yelling things that aren't, aren't printed in the lyrics and aren't quite intelligible. What do you think he was saying there? It sounded like he was saying, like, suicide, suicide, suicide. Really, really slowly. Oh, quickly, I mean. So that's not what was accused, but it is interesting that you would hear that. So the family brought a lawsuit against Ozzy Osbourne, claiming that through his special relationship with the fans, he's able to affect vulnerable listeners. And there were hidden lyrics in that song, specifically the section we were listening to, where you could hear, get the gun and try it, shoot, shoot, shoot. Oh, I did not hear that at all. Exactly, which is part of the problem. Yeah. Um, these lyrics, in contrast to the rest of the song, and maybe you'll play a bit of yeah. the early parts of the song, give you a fla- more of a flavour of how like the actual lyrics come across and they're quite intelligible. Specifically intended to be a section where you can't necessarily understand it. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not quite clear on whether, what was the sort of desire to put in there, but like you can't actually <laughs> yeah, I understand just, what's going on there. Yeah. Um, so while the Constitution offers broad protections for artistic expression, in the case 
that they're intended to violence, specifically promote violence or incite violence, there actually may be legal implications. So there's mm. sort of that division, like, hey, you can say whatever you want, but if it's saying you should harm yourself, harm other people, then you're yeah. not necessarily protected by the Constitution. Um, so the website Art on Trial has this section um, outlining the kind of precedent for that. In the case of Brandenburg v. Ohio, the US Supreme Court held that expression advocating violent or otherwise illegal behaviour only loses First Amendment protection if the expression is directed towards inciting or producing imminent lawless behaviour and is likely to result in such action. Mm-hmm. So the issue which was central to the case was not whether these hidden, hidden lyrics is claimed or even whether they were particularly important in the young man's decision to take his life, but whether those kind of lyrics would be protected speech. So the judge found um, and dismissed the case on the basis that such speech was in fact protected with Judge Cole stating that in fact the um, submission by the plaintiff read more like a novel than a legal pleading. So basically saying, like, hey, even if, like, this was saying this, it's in the context of a song, which yeah. is about suicide. And it, it's not specifically trying to tell listeners. That's not necessarily the intention behind it. Mm. Um, what is claimed by Ozzy Osbourne, or I think it may have been one of the people who are co-writing the song or working on the song, that actually what's said is, get, it, get your flaps out. <laughs> And if you listen back to it, you kind of can hear it, although it could be a number of any other things. Like yeah. It's specifically unintelligible. Um, Get your flaps out. <laughs> That's so, like, Darrow. <laughs> such a Darrow thing to say. So while it doesn't get as much attention as that case we're just talking about, McCollum et al. versus CBA Inc. et al., another case, Walla v. Osborne, was similarly brought by the family of a young man who committed suicide. It's interesting because this one actually gets into nuts and bolts of simple messaging in the, the notes about the case. So they initially charged that there were perceptible lyrics that were inside their son to commit suicide, but then change it to there being subliminal messaging in their sort of second version. The case went into discovery and they asked for the masters of the song so they could split up what was being said... Mm. You know, okay. in each different section. So you didn't have the guitars and the drums all in the same part. They could isolate that electronically altered vocal section. It's about, it's about 30 seconds in there. So the case appears to have gotten hung up on definitions with one expert and the plaintiff. So these are the plaintiffs. These are the people who bring the case, and these are their experts, um, stating that since the lyrics are, in, are audible but not intelligible, they can't be subliminal but are pre-conscious. This man, who was, for some reason was an upper level history, uh, completed an upper level history course at the University of California at Santa Barbara, was not an expert in mastering or mixing rock music. Another expert they employed was also not a music expert. She was a computer science lecturer. She appeared to have under, misunderstood the meaning of subliminal and identified subliminal lyrics by slowing down the music and hearing it with her own ears. Again, that's not that's sublim not subliminal. Not subliminal. Yeah. <laughs> So the court in this circumstance also reached a similar conclusion, dismissing it. And it's interesting because the notes say that you could, notes kind of seem to think that it was irresponsible for Ozzy to sing about suicide with having a teenage fan base. But because it doesn't directly incite, they're not liable. Yeah. So interesting kind of case there. Let's step up the crazy a bit more. Okay. <laughs> um. There's a website called Jesus is Saviour, and Saviour is misspelled without a U. 
um, which had an insightful article full of colourful text and black black gowns which featured this passage. (laughs) This should be a clear warning to all parents to get involved with what their kids are listening to and watching. Only God knows the total number of young people have died or had their lives ruined as a result of satanic music's influence. Millions of youth have been led into Satanism, sexual immorality and drug abuse by Osborne's influence. Many of Ozzy's music, brackets, noise... (laughs) <laughs> videos contain sexually graphic images of promiscuous whores, violent acts and torture. This is because the devil wants young people to act this way, to ruin their lives. Ozzy was born in 1948 and is getting old. He had better enjoy the riches, pleasures and fame that Satan has given him because hell is coming up to meet Ozzy the second he, breath- he breathes his last breath. Yeah, and Ozzy will be like, great, I'm glad I'm going to hell. <laughs> but also, like, Satan is both, you know, Asking Ozzy to do this, presumably, but then punishing him? Yeah, he's not going to punish him. I love Ozzy it. will get down there and he'll be like, yes, bitch. Party. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's the weird Christian logic of the devil being king oh of hell. God. It makes no sense. Um, all forms of heavy metal are sinful, and especially Christian rock, because it causes people to let their guard down against Satan. Oh, my God. <laughs> Christians are so weird. <laughs> I just, like... No, you can listen to music and not, like, go and do what the music is telling you. It's just so stupid. Like, oh, you're listening to heavy metal, therefore you're taking drugs, drinking, and having promiscuous, crazy sex. And it's like, I fucking wish, man. Teenagers have been doing that forever. Exactly. They're going to do that no matter what, no matter what music they listen to. All that, like, basic white people music out there, people are still doing that while they're listening to the fucking Jonas Brothers. So who cares? Mm. Let's move on to Judas Priest. On December 23rd, 1985, two men, Raymond Belk Knapp, then 18, and James Vance, 20, were drinking and smoking marijuana while listening to Judas Priest's album... Not the marijuana. I know. We're, we're, it's dangerous territory here. Their Judas Priest album, Stained Class. Um, after about six hours of this, they went to a church parking lot... Um, uh, Sorry, they were smoking weed and listening to the same song for six hours? No, Judas Stained Class, it's the album. Oh, okay. Yeah, so after about six hours of this, Belknap took a shotgun um, and shot himself, and Vance did the same. While Belknap died instantly, Vance survived but received disfiguring injuries to his face. Fuck. Yeah, so I watched a documentary on this, and they have footage of uh, Vance. And yeah, it's not pretty. They basically had to reconstruct his nose by like growing it on his forehead. Oh my so he's God. actually bandaged for a lot of the movie um, because he uh, had a, they, they grew his nose and yeah, it's all he, he, basically there's no teeth left. He like doesn't have lips. He has basically like this hole for a mouth, which he actually can enunciate quite well for the serious damage that's been done to his face. Wow. Yeah. So Vance claimed that they made their suicide pact, not because of the material conditions of their lives, because of a malign influence telling the Reno Gazette Journal, it was like a self-destruct that went off. We'd been programmed. I knew I was going to die. I was afraid. I didn't want to die. It was just as if I had no choice. Isn't the human brain a fucking crazy place? Yeah. In 1988, Vance died per the Los Angeles Times. Vance was admitted to hospital November 15th for the treatment of depression and was scheduled to be released last Thursday, the day he went into a coma. Vance's mother, Phyllis Vance, said doctors told her a short, t- short time later that her son was 99.9 brain dead. Vance's attorney, Timothy Post, said he had strong, strong hunch that the drug overdose sent his client into coma, but said he was not getting any answers from the hospital. Um, 
However, a trial did go forth afterwards. Um, his family brought a lawsuit against Judas Priest and their record label, CBS. CBS has been involved in a lot of these, apparently. <laughs> uh, alleging that the album contained subliminal messages which had overwhelmed the men's conscious decision-making and essentially brainwashed them into the act. Mm. This meant that what otherwise might be constitutionally protected spree speech in the form of lyrics is not protected because it was intended to circumvent conscious critical thinking. Um, this was actually the first time a judicial determination had been made as whether subliminal messages were protected under free speech. Judge Jerry Whitehead said, because speech is basically the expression of thought and ideas that a person can reflect upon and accept or reject, but a subliminal message is a surreptitious attempt to influence the subconscious and therefore is not something you could reflect on and accept or reject. So interesting sort of like, hey, subliminal messages are not protected if it was actually inserted. This is really bizarre, kind of in the light of a few decades, because the current understanding, I think, is that some of the messages are bullshit. And they're yeah. hysterical, kind of a panic, which were all to nothing. However, at the time, it appears that they took this somewhat seriously. Uh, during the case, they had an audio expert which isolated backward phrases like, do it, in the song, better by you, better than me. Um and asserted that these had sort of impacted the boys to do it. The fact that the phrase do it has no um, specific... It was Nike trying to sell products. <laughs> yeah. It's like um, the Simpsons episode where they have that, um, the boy band with like Millhouse and Bart and it's the Yvonne Ekniage, which is mm. join the Navy yeah. backwards to like make people join the Navy. It doesn't exist. doesn't exist. Um, and whenever someone's like to you, oh, I'm going to play this record backwards, don't. Just leave. Yeah. Yeah. They're so fucked. Judas Priest actually have used masking on Love Bites from the album Defenders of the Faith, which was released in 1984. Completely different album and completely different song. And there are no obvious backmasking on the album. Mm. What what the, the, um, the plaintiff's attorney seems to be implying with their expert is that they had sort of... I don't know, either manipulated or vocalised, um, Rob Halford had vocalised in certain ways on the album, so to give these subliminal messages. Mm. Not that they recorded something backwards or put something backwards, but like there were, you could find the hidden messages that otherwise you couldn't find if you're listening to it really carefully and reversed it. Oh my God. Which is all kinds of crazy. Um... It's also interesting because the album at this stage was over a decade old and if it had such power, you might expect it to have other impacts. Yeah, have killed people before that. Mm, let's give a little bit of a listen to the song backwards. Can we listen to it forwards first? Sure, let's give a little listen to it forwards. Just so before I listen to it backwards. <laughs> Let's look into that same 40 seconds backwards. 
Heard nothing except for Shubidabapa. <laughs> yeah, well, what's interesting in the documentary, um, uh, Dream, uh, Dreamers, Dece- I think it's Dream Deceivers, um, which is was actually it was released on PBS um, a little bit after the trial. It's really, really interesting because I think it sort of goes a lot of different places, brings up a lot of different things. I'd recommend people check it out. Um, is that they've sort of isolated these like one second, like, do it, do it, do it from just di- different places in the lyrics and without any context. Yeah. Like, you can kind of pick a little sound that happens to sound like do it, which is clearly just the fact that Rob Halford kind of sings in a certain way in particular air phrases or, mm. you know, the connections between words or something just has that kind of sound. Yeah, it, it, which is really <laughs> stupid. So stupid. It's funny when, like, courts take really bizarre shit seriously. Do it. Like subliminal messaging was t- taken seriously. It's such an insane time. It's like I was watching this episode of SVU, right? Yeah. Which we all know I've been watching a lot of SVU. But it was this one where these people were playing this video game and they were trying to say that the video game had caused them to murder people because yeah. they were trying to live out the game in real life. And luckily, like, the court went against them and were like, no, like... Obviously, the DA and the SVU was against that, but they were going on this whole, like, I didn't realise I wasn't still playing the game. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so stupid. I haven't seen an SVU episode yet, though, where someone's blamed it on a son. So I'll keep you updated. <laughs> well, this is prepping you for it. Yeah. What emerged in the court case was a clear trail of troubled lives, trouble at school, antisocial behaviour, petty crimes, inability to maintain a job, domestic abuse, substance abuse. None of this really appears to have registered with the parents and to occur to them that there's kind of a deeper problem, mm. that they suffered from a dissatisfaction with life or there were underlying mental health issues. And they blame... They, in, the, in the documentary, she kind of like says, oh, it's because of the music, like, which put Judas Priest and he changed. Like, there's no sort of thought that, hang on, maybe it's the other way, yeah. that Judas Priest is fulfilling a role in his life which he needs to kind of fulfil because he's deeply unsatisfied. He's, he's suffering in some way. They blame behavior, changes in behaviour on, on music because that's the only thing that they can grasp onto, not anything they've done yeah. or any failures of their life. Even when confronted in court with like, hey, this is, um, you know, th- this is what's happened, they, they, they don't really seem to accept it in any way. Apparently, there are also issues when it was revealed that the expert witness had also found secret messages on boxes of Ritz crackers, $5 bills, chocolate biscuits, and other everyday items. Fucking hell. It's not surprising, given the way he has basically cobbled together these kind of, you know, do it, and try to make a broader sort of issue Ritz out of Ritz crackers. There are, there, there, it's funny, because there are cranks like this out there. I actually interacted with a guy on Twitter who, it might have been Oreos or something like that, some sort of biscuit that he thought were featured Masonic symbols. My God. This was a guy who had a TV show at one stage on, like, the History Channel. What? 
Yeah, he's one of those kind of guys that was trying to find the secret history of America, and I think it was like, oh, actually this this thing which has been debunked by everyone, this actually reveals that it might have been that um, some tribe secretly came over to America or something. And created Oreos. It, from memory, it might have been that weird, um, the Native Americans came over from Israel theory. <laughs> God. And it's all communicated through Oreos. Yeah, yeah. So like all conspiracies, there this it relies on an unstated but essential framing that these are basically demonic forces inserting magic into popular media. This is why this kind of thinking is popular in these communities of evangelical Christianity, which mm. all, all the, these families in the in the um, in the documentary of of this case were very religious. Maybe their kids were dissatisfied because they had evangelical parents. <laughs> well, it explains the problem of the world in dualist terms they can grasp with. It's not their fault. It's because you have you're good and you're trying to do the best you can, but there's evil in the world which is afflicting you and your children with magic. Um, it's this is kind of in contrast to the reality of a band like Judas Priest who I, I I can't remember all their lyrics, but they're not really a satanic band in any way. Mm. Like, there are obviously lots of heavy metal bands which are very satanic. It's some, more, some jokingly so, some explicitly so. And Satanism, or, like, worshipping the devil isn't about killing yourself. Yeah. It's about enjoying life to its fullest. Yeah. If anyone knows anything about the Church of Satan. Yeah, there are varying approaches, and they're often kind of lame and just life-fulfilling stupidly. Yeah, it's not about killing yourself. Yeah, so they basically have no satanic content mm. and they're really more interested in being commercially successful, which is played out in their next few albums after, you know... <laughs> actually, what was... No, Stained Class was good. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to remember. But the next few albums after Stained Class are quite kind of subpar in terms of being proper heavy metal, you mm. know? Like, they're a band more interested in commercial success than anything. All of these bands are very interested in commercial success. Yeah. That's yeah. why you become a band. So the judge ruled that the subliminal sounds were incidental and threw the case out. Um, although I don't believe there have been any other significant cases involving subliminal messages subsequently, the judge did basically rule that they existed, but they just weren't present in Judas Priest, which thankfully I don't think there's been some other case which has taken that as precedent. One of the interesting asides about the song Better By You, Better Than Me, it was recorded in a separate session to the rest of the album to give it a more commercial and lighter sound. It was a cover of a band, Spooky Tooth, um, which, in contrast to the rest of the album, whose lyrics dealt with such topics as cosmic figures called Exciter, who who goes about specific tasks and ventures around the universe. Oh, my God. So this is kind of music we're dealing with. Like Judas Priest is not like a band which does that kind of stuff. Like the the parents just don't understand it. Like they, yeah. it's not like oh you don't understand me. You don't have like you don't know the difference between Slayer and uh, and uh, uh, Testament. You don't know the specific difference between these bands. Like they just have fundamentally no understanding of what this music is even about. And then they bring a case about it, and they just don't know it. Mm. I mean, it's it's not probably just not demonstrating that. But one of the funny things is James Vance is in the attorney's office before he passes away because there's this sort of setting up for the trial. And the, the attorney is trying to find the song better by you, better than me, and he keeps going the wrong songs. <laughs> you know, it's probably not actually indicative of the lack of understanding music, because it kind of feels symbolic in a way. You should be like an expert witness for metal. 
at trials. <laughs> well, thankfully, I don't think there have been any modern ones, but um, I'm going to have one last one okay. after this. It shouldn't be noted that the track Beyond the Realms of Death, which is also an album, carries an anti-suicidal message per vocalist Rob Halford. It talks about the way people withdraw from society and refuse to communicate what they can't stand things when they can't stand things anymore, but says they shouldn't kill themselves. Because <laughs> they're not about killing yourself. Like, it's yeah. so ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's an insane world we live in. Now, you know how I'm saying Judas Priest isn't that band, they're not satanic? all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. The kind of band that is that band is Slayer. <laughs> Slayer's great. I've seen Slayer. They're, they, are, they are great. I saw them the other uh, the other month in their, mm. their farewell tour. But they have songs about suicide and not in an introspective way, songs about mass killers, serial killers, torturers, and Satan. <laughs> like, they are the band which, which the parents were thinking about when they were talking about Judas Priest and Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, Judas Priest and Ozzy Osbourne are not those bands. No, but Slayer <laughs> is. And although I don't think anyone sane thinks they're Nazis or actually interested in committing or encouraging real violence... Their approach to these lyrics, as well as the use of the Nazi eagle in some of their logos, has left it a little bit blurry about to what extent they glorify these subjects. Yeah. You know, we, we were talking earlier in the show yes. about glorification of bad people, and I think Slayer is one of those bands which, rather than covering a topic, they kind of leave it a little bit blurry about where their allegiance lies. Oh, my God. Even if they're not, you know, a Nazi band or, you know, not committing violence, they kind of... They're like, but maybe we could. Well, not even maybe they could. Like, they're, they're pretty clear that all these things are fantasy and fictional and stuff like that. They're, they're, they're not actually interested. They're, they're very clear about that. But the way they sort of approach them kind of could be interpreted as glorification, if, mm. though not endorsement, I wouldn't think. Yeah. So, actually, just one, one last note. Slayer is a weird band in a lot of ways. You know, I, I know a lot of bands inspire weird behavior by fans but i think slayer maybe not singularly but perhaps prominently inspires kind of a lot of dumb guy feelings in their fans mm-hmm. i don't know if i can quantify that but like slayer is definitely the kind of band which like oh that dumb idiot is is so really passionate about and was like so into like they're that one of those kind of bands. Okay. In particular, not just in... Like, That's why I feel like people who really love Metallica are... No, uh, probably, probably there are a lot of fans of Metallica, but like Slay, I feel like, is the big dumb idiot who's okay. like, oh yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> but you like Slayer. No, I do like Slayer. Mm, some interesting. The, some of the best heavy metal albums of all time. Rain and Blood. Interesting Rain Blood. parallels. Rain and Blood, 28 <laughs> Minutes of Magic. <laughs> So, let's get to the unfortunate part. On July 22nd, 1995, Elise Parler, I think that's how you pronounce it, 15, was watching a movie with her family when she received a phone call. She told her parents she was going to bed, but instead she left the house and walked a mile toward a grove to smoke pot with three teenage boys. <gasps> After meeting them and beginning to you know, smoke up, Jacob Delishmart, 16, removed his belt and slipped it over her neck, choking her. Oh, my God. Sorry, I'm getting, like... (laughs) Live reaction. I'm shook. Joseph Fiorella, 14, took out a hunting knife and stabbed her in the neck. The other boys, including a third, Royce Casey, joined in, and when she was lying on the ground, they stomped on her neck, dragging her body into into a eucalyptus grove where she bled to death. 
That's fucked. When the body was eventually found after eight months, her pants <gasps> had been removed. The boys were at odds as to whether they had sex with the corpse, and although it was too de- decomposed for a medical examination to be conclusive, police and prosecutors believe that they did. Oh, my God. What fucked children. Mm. God, kids are evil. People who are like, kids are innocent. No, kids are evil. <laughs> and also people who are like, old people are innocent. No, old people can also be evil. Doesn't matter how old or young you are, you can be evil. Ugh. It's like little child murderers. So she wasn't found for so long because police were previously convinced that she was just a runaway, that she had previously gotten into trouble for drugs and probably given them all the evidence they thought they needed. I hate that. Casey had eventually confessed the crimes to a priest who then convinced him to admit guilt to the police. Fiorella and Dallashmart subsequently confessed as well. Here's where we get related to the topic. There are conflicting um, accounts of their motives. Investigator Doug Odom said that she was said that he was told in interviews that after forming their band Hatred, heavily influenced by Slayer, that they believed they needed to sacrifice a virgin. Quote, it was to receive power from the devil to help them play guitar better. By making this perfect sacrifice to the devil, it might help them grow professional. The devil doesn't want you to sacrifice virgins. Well, it's contradicted by Delishmat. He said, Fiorella had said, if I'd be down for sacrificing a virgin, uh, sacrificing a virgin. He didn't take it seriously, though. Um, in an interview, he said, The music is destructive, but that's not why Elise was murdered. She was murdered because Fiorella was obsessed with her, obsessed with killing her. Um, they said that their lives were dominated by a steady diet of drugs, marijuana, methamphetamine, LSD, and death metal music. It's probably the meth that turned them to <laughs> Yeah, well, they say it's interesting because you kind of get conflicting kind of messages. Mm. They, she said it was harmless at first. We used to smoke weed, play guitar, kick it. I was just into heavy metal. Um, and then, but, the, but later, Fiorella told a police counsellor a year after the murder, it gets inside your head. It's almost embarrassing that I was so influenced by the music. The music started to influence the way I was looking at things. Now these, again, were troubled boys. Royce Casey attended a continuation school after being kicked out of public school. Fiorella was being ta- home-taught after problems at high school. And Dallashman had been expelled for possessing drugs and swearing at a teacher. However, none of those testified at trial because they pleaded guilty and were sentenced to 25 years. This seems to be a case, and, you know, I think you can probably draw a lot of conclusions, but it seems to be one of those cases where... It's basically a satanic panic thing. Mm. There was obviously, I think with um, Fiorella, there appears to have been more of a fixation than the rest of the boys on the actual kind of idea of sacrificing a a virgin, uh, of murder. But the extent to which is that implicated by Slayer or it's just a, a vehicle which is expression of kind of a deeper issues mm. it's kind of hard to tell the fact that you know these boys like so many of the young men that we've talked about had issues throughout their lives i think points to perhaps a sort of deeper issue with young men their propensities to violence sexual aggression those kind of things rather than slayer being directly implicated in it in a kind of incitement way so, like all the bands, all the bands we've talked about, Parler brought Parler's family brought several attempts of a suit against Slayer and its label um, for, but not for bizarre reasons, like kind of what we were talking about, more traditional reasons. 
Um, firstly, that their lyrics gave them instructions to, quote, stalk, rape, torture, mutant, uh, murder, and commu- commit acts of necrophilia. In response to that, the judge said, there's not a legal position that could t- be taken that would make Slayer seriously responsible for the girl's death. Where do you draw the line? You might as well start looking through the library at every book on the shelf. They then, again, attempted to try, um, sue them for unlawful marketing and distribute harmful and obscene products to minors. However, the judge said that he didn't consider Slayer's music obscene, indecent, or directly harmful to minors, so that the marketing of such music to minors were therefore ruled to be legal. It is interesting because free speech advocates were not actually confident they would win this one, because at the time, a um, U.S. Surgeon General's office report had been released that identified a scientific link between graphically violent television programming and increased aggression in children. I think... In time, that link has been less certain. Mm. Um, one thing that I have trouble finding in these details is actually what is the specific allegation that the companies marketed. Like, what was their marketing towards children? There's assertions that they're marketing towards children, they're minors, that's wrong. But I can't think of how a company, even if they put it out there and they market it, like how you could even say that they're marketing to children. I mean, there's no way a Slayer album would be marketed towards children. No, Slayer would not be marketing towards children. I think definitely there is a desire for, you know, teenage boys Fans. to purchase these albums. Mm. But I don't think that you could say specifically that any advertising material would be specifically directed towards mm. them. So it's, it's interesting. I couldn't find any details about that in the case. So... There are obviously, I think, a bunch of stuff in Slayer's music that you could link to, you know, murder. Um, they've got a song which was mentioned in the case called Dead Skin Mask about Ed Gein. Again, Aww, but Ed complete, Gein. complete misunderstanding of kind of what the music is they're making. You know, obviously Slayer do talk about necrophilia. They've got a song called Necrophiliac. Um, you know, Torture. They've got songs called about Unit 231, I think it is, the Japanese um, basic equivalent of the Nazi doctors. They've got a song, Angel of Death, about Joseph Mengler, the most infamous Nazi doctor. So they've cut that content. But like when you bring up a song like Dead Skin Mask, it's about Ed Gein, who only killed one person. They're more talking about his necrophilic tendencies. Yeah. Which is, there's no evidence that like there was sort of an ongoing, you know, necrophilic kind of approach to this murder in the same way Ed Gein's was. Yeah, well, Ed Gein was exhuming bodies. Exactly, exactly. Um, they also have a song called Postmortem, which I, th- I think the specific line in it, tighten the tourniquet around your neck. They, 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 I think that's one of the things which leads them to say they gave specific instructions about it to kill murder. But the full line is, funeral hell for the depression, a man holds the key to his own death, entering a tomb of a corpse yet conceived, tighten the tourniquet around your neck, which probably indicates suicide. Mm. So... It's again these families. Like obviously they're in grief, and you can't yeah. say like, "Hey, you haven't studied these lyrics properly." But if you're going to bring a trial, if you're going to bring a suit, then you actually have to take these bands kind of at face value. And if you want to say they gave specific instructions, then you need to point out those instructions. Yeah. So. Are we going to listen to any of Slayer's music? Why not? Because they actually do have the, in in the way that they um. They are basically the band that everyone's talking about. They do have backmasking, and it is actually satanic. Oh. So this is from their track, Hell Awaits, off their album, Hell Awaits, their second album. So this is it, Fords. Yeah. 
And so it's a sort of ominous kind of fades in slowly. Let's go to backmasking. Then we'll play it in reverse. Let's listen to that reverse and see what they're really saying. Join us, join us. Yeah, something like Evil McNeosh. <laughs> so they are basically the band that they're talking about, but the whole point is it doesn't work. Like, yeah. it's not, you're not going to be made into some sort of satanic worshipper because you hear Senorj, Senorj, which actually means join us in reverse. No. And they're, they're like, they have a, a song called Altar of Sacrifice, which I'll find the lyrics for here. It's one of the ones I took down. Um, which is kind of explicitly about sacrifice, but like, the whole point of music is that it's fictional. You know, yeah. you don't do what you see necessarily. So I was got a line, um, high priest awaiting dagger in hand, spilling the pure virgin blood. Satan's slaughter, ceremonial death, answer his every command. And so the lyrics clearly you know, match up with what they're saying, but the whole point is there's not people going around craziness, mm. killing and, and sacrificing. This is kind of a... Not singular... I don't, I'm sure there are other cases of it, but like it's a relatively rare occurrence. That's mm. the whole point. Most people don't do it. So. Yeah. These people are weak, you know? Mm. Um, there's another case of a different sort of order, which I'm not going to talk about, but the West Memphis Three, because that was a criminal case, not a lawsuit. But I, I recommend people watch uh, the documentary Paradise Lost about them and how mm. they're railroaded by these same, very same instincts of satanic panic. Yeah. Um, very unfounded. I know about them. Mm. Very sad. Very, very sad. And it's this whole ridiculous thing about... That was actually fucked. Like, it was completely fucked. They were completely railroaded. Yeah. And you have... They're free now, though. Mm. Finally. But you have people who do not understand and have no desire to engage with this seriously. Mm. So, like, obviously, like, Slayer aren't serious in any real way, but, like, they're putting forward something of substance mm. like it's an illustration of an idea of murder of, s- of satanism you know an interpretation of real events the the nazi um doctors uh you know real serial killers including jeffrey dahmer as well so so but what are they trying to do with that yeah. and there's no idea like hey these aren't actually satanists these aren't actually like tom Araya, the vocalist is a catholic mm. yeah <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, Kerry King it was probably an atheist. I, 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 that's from memory. But, like, 
there are more levels to this than just the surface level. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, they're like, in, in a way, like, it's weird because, like, they're taking these bands who, like, you would say, oh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a joke, it's not serious. Like, oh, they're, you know, why would you take them serious? You'd be an idiot. And these parents are like, no, they're fucking Satanists. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why are you taking them seriously? Satanic panic was real. You're giving them more credit than they, they really need or deserve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... A uh, kind of postscript to all this was the efforts by the Parents Music Research Centre, which was an attempt by so-called Washington wives, which are the wives mm-hmm. of politicians, including Tipper Gore, who is the ex-wife of Al Gore, to have warning labels put on records they deem to have inappropriate references to drugs, violence, sex, and the occult. The fact that the occult is included in that is a pretty clear indication that the, we're talking about highly conservative Christians. Mm. A criticism of this whole campaign is basically that it seems to have been, rather than you know, promoting interest of kids, it was more an effort to promote her husband's future presidential campaign by, um, you know, Democrats obviously always, I think basically always, kind of want to protect their flank and say, like, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not degenerates. You know, we, we have social, you know, moral values. Mm. So this is kind of that attempt. They had a list of the filthy 15 like all good campaign, you need a list of the enemies. Um, and it's funny because it's just basically what are some kind of raunchy songs by known bands? Because Slayer, you know, Hell Awaits was out in 1984, I think. Um, and it's got much, much worse stuff um, than anything you'd find on here. So what is the list? Tell me. So you got Darling Nikki by Prince, which has got some references to Prince? masturbation. Prince? Oh, yeah. my God. Masturbation? Yeah. Oh my fucking hell! You got Judas Priest, a song called "Eat Me Alive," which kind of like you know it's a bit uh, yeah. it's raunchy. It's because it's like about sadomasochism. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Motley Crue, their song "Bastard," which is apparently about violence and language. ACDC, "Let Me Put My Love Into You," like that's just about sex. But all it? their songs are about sex. Yeah, honestly, um, this one's really funny. "Twisted Sister," we're not going to take it for violence when like the song basically doesn't have any specific violence in it. That's not. Okay. Merciful Fate, Into the Coven, a Venom with Possessed. They also had Cindy Lauper, Black Sabbath. Death Cindy Lauper's on the list? What? Cindy Lauper, She Bop, which is apparently a reference to masturbation. What is wrong with masturbation? Consider a Christian. Masturbation saves lives. <laughs> uh, Madonna with the song Dress You Up, because it's about sex. Um, one of the more interesting parts... Why are people so against sex? People should be less against sex and then we'd have less issues with sex. Yeah, I agree, totally. Yeah. Totally. One of the interesting parts of this whole sort of saga, and it was kind of a bit of a saga, um, people like Frank Zappa went to testify behind, before the Senate committee, but uh, Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister, whose song We're Not Gonna Take It was included in the mix, um, turned up to a Senate hearing. He was decked out in his double denim, hit his hair all teased up nice. and sunglasses on. Um, but he actually thought really long and hard about what he was going to say, which I, I do have a lot of respect for him for. Um, one of the good points he makes is the, about the ability to mischaracterize and misinterpret lyrics. One of the songs he, provi- he gives is an example of um, Under the Blade, which typical stated an article pertaining to sadomasochism, bondage and rape. But it's actually about surgery. He adds, the only sadomasochism is in the mind of Miss Gore. Which mm. I think is an important point about how moralist has a proclivity to invent immoralism. Yeah. Last, though, from an article by Vulture, 
Ultimately, after the RIAA, and that's the Record Industry Association or whatever, agreed to place these parental advisory stickers on select albums, the industry did not topple. Metal sales and sales in general remained strong and were booming by the 90s. Labels started putting out clean and explicit versions of them to widen their retail reach. And the stickers probably helped sell more records to kids who enticed by the idea, idea of listening to something that would shock <laughs> or offend their parents. Now, the music industry is crumbling, not because of the lyrics, because of illegal downloading. And many current hits make Darling Nikki seem as bawdy as Paul Lind. In retrospect, both sides of the advisor issues are probably looking back fondly to the mid-80s. Record companies because of the money they used to make, and PMRC vets because what seems sh- shocking then seems tame now. Mm. True. Which is it was also interesting because there are bands that have basically been inspired by Slayer who took it much further. You know, actual you see a lot of references to Slayer being a death metal band. They're not a death metal band. They're about as far as thrash goes before it becomes death metal. But there are death metal bands who are far worse than Slayer. There are black metal bands who are actually satanic, actually mm. profess that they are believe in Satanism. There, there are there are far more references. I think probably in in to sex in our music now. I listen to podcasters who say they're Satanists. Yeah. So it's like, they're just yeah. out there. Oh, no, they're out there. But, like, their fear is, you know, <laughs> there is far more happened. And what is society, what's the issues with society? They're social. Yeah. They're social, they're environmental, they're political. They're not. About music or not, Satan. Not really about moralism in that no. kind of way. So <laughs> they're all wrong. Um. All of these questions kind of get confused because of America and their free speech protections, but I generally think it's probably a good idea to prevent some of these kind of media getting into the heads of children. But yeah. that's kind of moot now because we've got the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kids are going to do what kids are going to do. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, that was the uh, lawsuits against heavy metal all failed. Love it. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. You're welcome. Love a bit of heavy metal chat. <laughs> some chatter. <laughs> Yeah, it's it was an odd thing. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I feel bad for the parents, but like, like because they're essentially accusing Slayer, Slayer to a certain extent, but very much so. I think yeah. um, Judas Priest and Ozzy Osbourne have basically been evil and trying to put messages on their records to it's convince people like to kill themselves. All this satanic stuff, and the West Memphis Three weren't the only people that have been like done for crimes that they didn't do because of their lack of heavy metal music. Mm. So it's just, yeah, it's insane how, you know, like you Ben right now with the t-shirt that you're wearing. It's Yeah. That's an angel being torn down to hell. Exactly. The uh, so first like, immolation album. You've got, we've always talked about you being careful if you were a suspect of a crime. <laughs> I, I, I think there are various issues, not just heavy metal that are. Yeah. That could <laughs> get you sent down to jail. I will defend you, Ben. That I spent a lot of time alone. <laughs> As the person that spends a lot of time with you, I'll defend you mm. and say, no, he's fine. He's a very sweet boy. <laughs> he would never hurt anyone. Thanks, Steph. That's okay. I'll be there for you in court as your character witness. Yeah, but it's odd because you get people that spend so much time supposedly studying the issues, people who reverse the album and pick out all the do-its, but like they don't bother to kind of think about these issues, you know, this is me just re-emphasizing what I've said, seriously, they don't think about, like, hey, what are these bands actually doing? Yeah. They they invent these scenarios. They whip up the worst situation they can imagine and then essentially pursue the course of action as if that were true. 
Well, maybe they should think about more of the issues of like why teens are committing suicide. Exactly. You, you, Which has nothing to do with the music that they listen to. You, especially James Vance. So many issues in his life. His wife, his, um, not his, wife, his sister tried to commit suicide twice as well. Mm. And... People the, don't commit suicide because of the music that they listen to. It's a last-ditch effort to escape the horrible circumstances that are their lives. And also, the, the, the suicides involve guns. Yeah. Which is incredibly problematic because most people who try to commit suicide, if they don't have an easy way out like a gun, they just won't do it and they won't try again throughout their entire lives. But a gun is such an easy way out yeah. because it's, it's quick... It's easy, it's accessible if, if you're in America because you have a lot of guns. And it, it's not it's not always talked about in kind of dialogue about gun safety or gun mm. control, but suicide is such an important issue when it comes to that because people commit suicide by gun when they wouldn't like try again in any other circumstance. Yeah. True. Well, that was a sad note to end on. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> 